This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. One of the interesting things about being a fish geek is that we have all these amazing ideas and dreams, and it's possible now more than ever to act on so many of them. Do you ever have one of those perfect ideas for a tank floating around in your head? You know, the kind which, although not necessarily crazy or difficult or expensive to do, just is something that you've been itching to try, something aspirational or otherwise goal-worthy. My aquarium journey has been as much about dreaming about tanks like that as it has been about executing. It seems like I'm always coming up with perfect ideas for crazy displays. You know, the biotope-inspired themes, the specialized systems for particular fishes, stuff like that. But I never seem to get to all of them. I don't think I'm all that unique in this regard. I think all of us have that perfect tank in our heads and we're waiting for factors like time, money, and the right space and the right livestock to come our way in order to execute them. It's nothing new. It's been going on for generations. As a young hobbyist, I never could afford anything, so... I'd fall asleep scheming up these dream tanks in my head. And some of these ideas were insane. I mean, just impossible to execute at the time. Others were pretty realistic, entirely achievable. And as I grew older and had the capability and the means, I was able to build them. And often when I was finally able to build some of these so-called dream tanks, it would come to pass that I didn't enjoy having the tank as much as I enjoyed scheming about it. It's kind of weird. Why is that? Some dreams are just meant to be dreamed, I suppose, right? And then there was, you know, Blackwater. Um, For some reason, this type of tank really resonated in me. Since I was a kid, it was so weird. I mean, a tank with water so dark that you can always see the fishes clearly. It was something amazing. It seemed so anti-establishment when I was a teenager. Maybe that was the start of my experimentation with these kinds of tanks. I, I began with, you know, peat moss in my killifish tanks. And then I played around with sticks and leaves. And before you know it, I had neon tetra spawn when I was 11 years old. You know, stuff like that. My dreams, though, took me in a different direction. The reef keeping bug bit into me and it hit in the mid-80s. And I was just totally enamored. I mean, keeping life, corals, wow. I mean, yeah, my first mini reef, as they used to call it, was a hastily planned affair based on uh, George Schmidt's groundbreaking 1986 series in Freshwater Marine Aquarium magazine with, you know, tons of macroalgae like calerpa, some mushroom anemones, and I, I think a singularia, soft coral, and maybe even a bit of pulsing xenia, which was just like the exotic crazy coral at the time. For a 30-gallon tank for a teenager, it was surprisingly badass. It was pretty cool. And I started, you know, that started like a decades-long love affair with reefs, which eventually led me to a writing and speaking career, a hobby, you know, fame, if you will, in, the, in that end of the, 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 the hobby, uh, aquarium design gigs, and the opportunity to become a partner in the launch of a coral propagation and import business called Unique Corals. Unique was a pretty astonishing success in our industry, and I was quite proud to be associated with it. You know, we, we set a high standard. We created a terse manifesto for sustainability, and we did walk the walk, and Ultimately, uh, I always stayed in touch with the freshwater world, and ultimately, 
that kept calling. It was louder. Although my time and focus were on reefs and corals, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking and dreaming of those cool tanks I would scheme about as a teenager. Those crazy freshwater concept ideas that I love so much. The freshwater world is seen from the salty side of the fence. Although it evolved highly since I played in it actively, still needed some new ideas in my opinion. Different stuff. Those dreams again. <laughs> they just kept haunting me and getting louder. It was also the point where I realized that reef aquariums and the reef hobby, although amazing and fascinating, were somehow getting a bit, I don't know, monotonous to me. And it wasn't <laughs> that there's anything wrong with the reef hobby. I mean, they're all, the reef aquariums are awesome and corals are amazing. But dealing with corals every day, commercially, and with some of the disturbing, at least to me, cultural shifts that were going on in the coral side of the reef keeping community, like the commoditization and branding of corals, which I thought was crazy, and a seemingly anemic interest in the hobby and recreating the habitat aspects of reefs in our homes, short of buying all this fancy gear to do things, it just really turned me off. It, I felt like the soul, the part that I love so much, was just not there. It brought me back to the realization that freshwater had so many more possibilities for me, many which I had never even considered before, and neither had anybody else. Yet, those dreams were calling, calling loudly. So I made the decision to act on those dreams. In a move that really shocked a few people in the reef-keeping world at the time, I sold my interest off in the thriving uni corals, which is still at the top of its game, by the way, to sort of come home to the freshwater world, filled with all these ideas and enthusiasm once again. And I was a little bit rusty, I admit it, but that was the birth of Tannin Aquatics, the acting on one of my dreams from childhood. And you know, those dreams were happening again. I was scheming new aquariums and new concepts at the time, doing research and learning about things that I couldn't even read about 30 years before, it felt pretty cool. And one of my favorite things about the hobby is that we can dream up or scheme all sorts of wacky ideas, think through them, and maybe, just maybe, build them. Some are totally outlandish and push the envelope of what's even technically possible. And I think that's important, though. Trying to figure out how to replicate the function of wild habitats, not just the look, is a huge step forward in the aquarium hobby. It requires a lot of thinking, research, some of it not always exciting, and a lot of mental shifts to accept things which previously might have scared us as okay. Looking at nature as a guide for how to model its function, not just as an aesthetic inspiration, especially when the aesthetics of a natural habitat are far, far different from the conventional hobby interpretation of what we think nature looks like. It's a big shift. Now lately, I've been sharing a lot of pics of some of our more esoteric, unconventional aquariums on our social media feeds. And interestingly, the response from the community has been overwhelmingly positive. Like, almost every response is, cool, I love that, or I really want to do a tank like that. This is just amazing. It makes me think because it's so different from what we'd see just a few years ago, maybe five, six years ago when we first started, when the typical response to a pic was like, literally, that tank looks dirty, or... My favorite was, is this the before shot of a rescape? <laughs> or I'd get questions like, is that sustainable? Can that tank actually run? You know, dreams, mental shifts, and accepting new ideas, they all go hand in hand. And I realized that to a lot of people, they, they still haven't figured this out. And that's okay. That's part of the fun of the hobby. Yet even after all the exposure botanical style aquariums have received, there's still some concern, some hesitation, or whatever you want to call it, about setting up an aquarium with a huge amount of leaves and seed pods and all that stuff. I totally understand why. I mean, adding all sorts of biological material to an aquarium requires a population of organisms in place to process it. We've talked extensively about what happens in nature, and in our tanks really, when leaves and botanicals are added to water. 
However, no amount of me or you or anybody explaining that a community of life arms will process them, if you let them, will make some people feel comfortable about the idea. The biggest mental shift that we have to make in this hobby specialty is to understand that the leaves, the seed pods, etc., all that stuff, are not just aquascaping set pieces, again, put in to achieve a look. Rather, they are a functional part of the aquarium's environment, hosting a myriad of life forms which drive the ecology of the tank. In essence, they're part of the operating system that's essential for successful long-term function of a botanical-style aquarium. I know we've talked about this a billion times here, and I talk about it over and over again, but it's a tough point to get this point, you know, it's a tough point to get across sometimes. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're so immediately attracted to the look of these aquariums that we can easily lose sight of the fact that the look is just the byproduct of the function. I receive so many emails and DMs from hobbyists, you know, new to this botanical game, and they, they ask if they should, you know, scrape off the gunk that's showing up on their leaves and seed pods. And I think they think this you know, is a problem or whatever. And I think it's a real thing that our, we as a community need to discuss again and again and again and again because people aren't quite getting it yet. And I, I sometimes wonder why. We've written so much. We've talked about it. I guess people find us at different stages in their aquarium journey. So some of this stuff is not as immediately obvious or perhaps it's not even interesting to them. They just like the look of the tank and don't realize that there's a collateral set of life forms and things that go with it. And those in turn have a look. The, you know... The idea, of course, being not to remove this stuff. It's not to siphon out the decomposing materials. It's about letting nature take some of the control and process as she's done for eons. It's perhaps the most challenging aspect of the botanical style aquarium movement. It's about linking the aspirational nature of dreams with the necessities of reality. And trust me, practicality and dreams go surprisingly well together. With so many cool hobbyists doing so many cool things, it's amazing to see all the action happening around me. I'm pretty lucky for a little dreaming kid. I'm pretty privileged to hear about all of your dreams. Some of the types of tanks that you guys are coming up with are nothing short of amazing. I've gotten to supply botanicals for everything from geophagus, you know, biotope aquariums to permanent killifish displays for interesting displays in public aquariums, universities doing research for people keeping axolotls, serious fish breeders and vivarium displays, all kinds of super crazy cool projects that across the full spectrum of the freshwater and brackish water aquarium world. And it's just beginning. That's what's so exciting. That's where follow, you know, following my aquarium dreams and making them come alive has taken me. So people ask me about, you know, how do you do it? What do you do? When those dreams come, my advice, cliche though it may be, is to listen to them, act on them. You never know where they might take you. It's a very simple thought. But that's today's very simple thought. And I think it's something that if you take into consideration and really act on, it could give you a lifetime of pleasure in this hobby. So keep dreaming. Make those mental shifts. And then dream some more. Stay imaginative. Stay engaged. Stay creative. Stay thoughtful. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. And I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.